Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 255 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is January 21st, 2013. We've got a big show for you coming up on the Peristyle Podcast. We've got Dan Weber later on the show. We're going to talk a little USC basketball even, and of course, uh, discuss USC's new defensive coordinator, Clancy Pendergast, former Cal and Arizona Cardinals defensive coordinator taking over for Monty Kiffin, who is now the defensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. So we've got a lot to talk about with that, the new defensive philosophies around the USC football program, how much that's going to help. Uh, we do have a bunch of questions to get to, and if you have any questions, we love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or you can leave us a voicemail at 206-888-6755, or go to peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page and leave a voicemail right from your computer. You can even tweet me. I'm on Twitter at Inside Troy, all one word. And our first guest is uh, Coach Harvey Hyde, who does not have a Twitter account yet, but we'd love to hook him up with one of those. What do you say, Coach? You want to get a Twitter account? No, I'm, I'm just happy with what I got, buddy. Uh, again, uh, what beautiful weather here in Southern California. And, uh, well, it's an exciting time of the year because, of course, there's recruiting. Super Bowl, we've got a couple of champions. I tell you, this last Sunday, past Sunday, the AFC and the NFC championship games, I think that's better in Super Bowl weekend. To see two championship games like that back-to-back, absolutely fantastic. And, of course, on February the 3rd, Super Bowl, and then on February the 6th, how much better can it get recruiting? So that's draft day for the colleges. And remember, in the NFL, you get one first-round draft choice. But in college, you could have 25 first-round <laughs> draft choices if you're a great recruiter. But, uh, yeah, Ryan, thank you very much. Everything's going well, and uh, I'm looking forward to tonight or today's show. Certainly, and I am as well. And I wanted to, before we jump into it, wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. Uh, you can go to sdtickets.com. Call 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for Lakers, Clippers, even the Kings are going to be defending their Stanley Cup. Or if you want to go to a theater event, a concert, anything like that, go to sctickets.com. They've been helping us for years, and they can help you as well. And, Coach, um, I'm doing a little speaking event that I wanted to let people know about it. Uh, On Thursday night uh, from 530 to 730, the Trojan Club of South Orange County in uh, Mission Viejo, California, they asked me to come speak and We'll have Dan Weber and Gerard Martinez come out there and speak as well. It's at the Arroyo Trabuco Golf Club in the Grand Ballroom, and that's at 26772 Avery Parkway in Mission Viejo. Again, Thursday night, 530 to 730. If you want to come out there, you can email me, podcast at uscfootball.com, and I can send you the information on on what's going on there. Or or you can actually just show up if you want to come down there and check it out. I think it's... uh, it might be $45 at the door, but you can, if you're a support group member, you can do it online. Email me. I'll send you the link. It's like $35. So uh, check it out with that. And uh, 
Coach, I know you love doing all these speaking events, but I figure that one's a little too far south for you up from, from the Pasadena area. Well, I'll tell you what, you you young guys can travel around. You're like <laughs> the rich and famous and jet setters. And me, I, I just uh, like to stay local. Now, I mean, I have to make trips, don't get me wrong, but uh, I would love to have that opportunity too. But you guys are doing such a great job, you and Dan and Gerard and all you guys that uh, you do you do a great job for these people. Well, thank you, Coach. And uh, well, let's get into the show. And I, one thing you did mention was the uh, NFL and the Super Bowl. No USC Trojans will be playing in the Super Bowl. The last one was uh, Sam Baker. The last guy standing was Sam Baker, the uh, offensive tackle for the Atlanta Falcons. We have an all Harbaugh um, Super Bowl, and Jim Harbaugh and John Harbaugh, and uh, you know Pete Carroll's nemesis <laughs> going to be playing in the Super Bowl, so I'm not sure if uh, USC fans are going to be rooting for Baltimore. I will be in Las Vegas again for the Super Bowl, so that should be a lot of fun. I love I love spending uh, Super Bowl weekend in uh, in Las Vegas. It's a lot of fun. But, yeah, it's kind of a crazy weekend of, uh, of football leading up to this really historic Super Bowl. You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. You know, I've been to several Super Bowls, and you have too probably, Ryan, but I, tell you, I agree with you. Vegas, Vegas is crazier, better than being at the Super Bowl itself. It really is. It's a great spot. I used to do a lot of Super Bowl parties for a lot of the casinos up there when the NFL and Las Vegas had a great relationship. But now it's a whole different party, uh, a whole different thing, as you know, oh, yeah. as far as the parties and everything that's going on. And I and I struck out too as far as Super Bowl participants. I have one of my ex assistant coaches who is special teams coach for the New England Patriots. So he's not going to the Super Bowl. And Pat Hill, who is an assistant coach of mine, uh, was is the offensive line coach at Atlanta. So he's not going to the Super Bowl. So I sort of struck out too uh, in the Super Bowl uh, action as far as getting former coaches or players players in there. Man, well, <laughs> we'll see. But it's still be an entertaining Super Bowl, I think. It should, you know, it's uh, should be a lot of fun. Uh, I think there'll be way too much Harbaugh talk, Harbowl, or whatever they want to call it. But I, I always look forward to the Super Bowl. I've been a big NFL fan since I was a little kid with the Pittsburgh Steelers when I was growing up in that area. So it's it's definitely been a lot of fun. But we want to talk college football, Coach. And uh, I guess the big news we we heard rumblings, and uh, you know, we had published a story that. Uh, Clancy Pendergast, the former Cal defensive coordinator. He, he was also defensive coordinator for the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, we put a story up uh, that he was going to be the next hire, and um, he ended up being the next hire. So people, the, the story ended up breaking, I think, the day or the day or so afterwards. So we, we broke that scoop for everybody. Um, but we had a question from Andrea, and I guess it just kind of overall, we'll get your thoughts. Um, she wanted to know about Clancy Pendergast's philosophy and how it's going to fit in with the USC athletes, scheme-wise, uh, conditioning, and, and even preparation and practice, and, and kind of get your thoughts on how he's going to fit in uh, at USC. Well, I'll tell you, I certainly hope he does fit in well. Uh, you know, 34 defense, I like the 34 defense. That's the defense I ran. I thought you had more flexibilities with it as far as shoving down and make, giving yourself a a different look and, and doing more blitzing and covering better. And I, I just like the schemes. Now the four, three, of course, is a, a defense that if you have the right players that fit the, uh, the format of what the defense is, then you, that's a good defense for you. If you, if you have the personnel that fits a 34 defense and that's a great defense for you, but you got to teach what your personnel is and what you, what you believe yourself. 
And I think SC's in a position where they've got to have a, some linebackers, and I think they're going to have some speed at linebackers. And if things go along with recruiting the way things are going, and the red uh, red shirt linebackers SC had, as far as with Riffin and uh, and Scott Starr and, and and some of these kids, uh, Dawson. I think Dawson would be a better 34 linebacker than he is a middle linebacker. Uh, I think it'll fit. Now again, uh, uh, I, I like. Uh, Pendergrass's uh, philosophy. If you remember a week ago, I was asked this question of what I would look for as far as the defensive coordinator. I look for defense being fun football. I look for it being giving the defenses or the offense a lot of different looks, uh, going after people, pressuring the offense, playing playing offense on defense. But to be able to do that, you got to have great corners. Because you got to play a lot of man, and you can't get beat, and, if they, and you and you got to be very careful when you play that way. You play reckless defense, which means you got to play great secondary play. Which right now I'm, you know, just questioning about the secondary as far as the personal they personnel they have as far as the, the corner position. Uh, obviously, uh, they have a chance, or freshmen have a chance to come in and play Hawkins and Ramsey if they get Ramsey. I like Ramsey as a player. Uh, I, I like Hawkins as a player. It's, it's somewhat disappointing to think that two freshmen have to come in and play corners at USC because a couple of, you know, one fresh one player leaves and Kel Rovi and uh, the other side they never really, never had a corner. So someone either made a lot of mistakes in recruiting, or a lot of players are hurt, or players haven't developed, or something's wrong on the evaluation of these players when they come in because it's very difficult not to have any corners when you have all of these four- and five-star corners that you've recruited uh, during the process. So I think you have to evaluate your personnel, and I think he has to do that. Uh, I think he has experience in coaching uh, football. He certainly has coached in the Super Bowl, coached in the NFL, uh, has coached in the Pac-12 and knows what the Pac-12 is all about, uh, has faced uh, the spreads. So, you know, I think that if you're going to look for a guy, and, and I think, and I say this, and I've said this before, and I'm not trying to be negative, but who are you going to do, go and get that uh, that has a great job and, and, and leave when you don't know really what the situation is at USC? Uh, Pendergrass didn't have a job, the perfect fit. If you have a job, at a at a school and and they've got a two or three year contract going with them, unless USC is going to give you a two or three year contract, maybe a three year minimum, if you're this quality of a defensive coordinator, you're not going to come. But I'm not going to say that he's not a great coach. I'm going to say I don't know that much about him. I don't know how he is as far as a recruiter. I know he's going to have a chance now to hire a, a linebacker coach, which I think will help him a lot and bringing in somebody that knows his schemes and what he wants to do. I didn't think the linebackers played that well this past year at USC. Missed tackles, were out of position, didn't cover well. So that's happening. I'm not sure what else other coaching changes will happen there or any other different philosophies on the offensive side of the ball. So I think this was a move that had to be done now before the signing date, and it seems to somewhat satisfy the recruits as far as what I hear. So uh, right now at this time, I'd say it's a good hire. Now let's get going. All right. Um, well, hey, Melvin had a follow-up with that too uh, on Pendergast. And, and I think it's more of when, when people are talking about this, Coach, 
they kind of talk about his philosophy. But he had an interesting point. Do you think he's going to have an impact on teaching some of the new guys that USC has in the defensive backfield and at linebacker? Because like you said, there was some underwhelming performances, I guess you could say. Uh, do you think that's something that Lane Kiffin's going to expect him to come and do, or is it more about his philosophy? Well, I think it's a combination of both. I don't care what defense you run unless you play the defense with the right techniques and understanding of the coverages and the philosophy of the defense and what the schemes are, then you're not any good. A part of being a, a coach is a teacher. You take great athletes and you put them in a position where they can be successful and and understand what they're doing and what they're trying to accomplish. I think he's responsible for all areas of the defensive side of the football, not only the secondary or if he coaches the linebackers or if he coaches the defensive line. I think he's got to be able to put it all together so all the schemes match and everything works when you make certain calls. Everybody's got it covered on the other end. Uh, I used to always like my defensive coordinator to be the linebacker coach. I just always used to like that because he's in the middle of of the of the whole thing and he correlated it all. And uh, but that didn't necessarily mean you have to be a linebacker coach to do that. Uh, but I think you've got to get really a lot of improvement done in the secondary. You've got to have confidence in the secondary. Uh, you've got to put pressure on the uh, on the on the opponents so that the secondary doesn't have to cover all day. But if you don't have a great secondary, then you're really in trouble because you're always trying to cover up for them and you're limited on what to, what you can do defensively. So you got to get these young players to play and get some these athletes to participate and believe. And if you don't have the great secondary, then you better put some pressure on somebody and get some sacks. Otherwise, they're going to eat you up. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> That's certainly uh, something that USC fans would want to see getting eating up of the other quarterbacks. There's, I think there's issues on both sides of the ball, coach. Um, and I think with the assistant coaches right now, we're not sure what's happening. You talked about hiring a linebacker coach. There's still a possibility that Clancy Pendergast comes in and, and takes over one of those spots. And he does focus on one of the different positions. And, um, you know, there's, there could be some coach shuffling around. I mean, I know the big hire is Pendergast, but there could be some, some, some other shuffling and stuff going around, which we still have to kind of wait and see. But I thought your point of having the defensive coordinator coach a, a position like the linebackers would be a good one. I, I'm not sure if USC would do that, but that would be really interesting to see. Well, I don't know what they're going to do. I, I tell you, I think there has to be some juggling of coaching around a little bit. I think you've got to, whenever you have had problems, you've got to make changes. Kids have got to see the changes. Kids have, and these coaches have got to uh, sell these kids on there's going to be a different philosophy around here. There's going to be a different mood around here. There's going to be a different uh, feeling around here than there was before. I, I love the attitude, at least of what I'm here, and I read on your website uh, and so on, that you guys have direct contact with the recruiting process of the positiveness of the players coming in. If that could only continue to generate throughout the football program at USC and the coaching staff and the whole uh, backing of the USC athlete department, the fans, the parents, and everything, you got a product. But everybody's trying to win. So you've got to have everything going the right way. Even if you're USC, you can't overcome other universities because you're USC. You've got to overcome them because of what you're doing at USC. 
So I think it's going to be very important that the, as I've said a hundred times on this show and other shows, that you have to evaluate everything about the USC football program. From the time you practice to the time that you get on the bus, what airline you fly on your charters. I'm just making a joke of it when I go this far. <laughs> but I, I say you've got to look at every single thing of why you lose five of your last six games and you correct it. Even if that's firing your best friend, you've got to do what you have to do to win. You have an obligation to the university, to yourself, and to why you're getting paid whatever you're getting paid, 2 or $3 million a year to run a corporation. And that's what the football program is and the athletic department at USC. That certainly is, Coach. Uh, well, let's – I want to talk about the philosophy. We had a question from – Zane in Houston, Texas, and he said, "Well, this is funny." He said, "I I heard Coach Coach Herbie, so he <laughs> so he called you Coach Herbie." <laughs> Coach, sorry about that. I sort of like that. <laughs> Coach Herbie, talk about different defensive styles uh, in last week's podcast, where the philosophy is to disguise, use different formations, do different stunts, etc., before the ball is snapped on defense in order to put pressure on the offense. My question is. How would a team be able to do all of those things if a team like Oregon or UCLA are using a no-huddle offense? Isn't the point of a no-huddle to create a situation where the defense must stay in vanilla looks because there's no time before the snap? And how can a defense create confusion to a no-huddle offense in general? That's Zane in uh, Houston, Texas for Coach Herbie. Well, listen, uh, thank you for the nickname. That's not bad. I've been called some names I couldn't say on this show, okay? (laughs) So, so I'll take Herbie, and uh, we'll go from there. Uh, you can do a lot of things. You know, first of all, uh, you can't let – I don't like to see an offensive no-huddle type of philosophy dictate to the entire game. I think you've got to take that away from these guys. You really do. I mean, I think the officials, too, have got to be halfway fair. I see these officials work games where two teams huddle up, and they walk around and place the ball and – and do everything that the normal style of a football game. And then I see them use, uh, work a game where there's a no huddle team and they're running around and half of them are getting a heart attack because they haven't moved that fast forever. I think that's giving an advantage for the team that is trying to speed up the game. I think that you've got to run every single game at the same pace that you do, no matter what the style of football is. And I would demand that as a football coach, depending what my style is. Yes, I want to create the advantage, but not if I'm causing a disadvantage to the other team. And I think the official, officials out there have got to understand that. And I think you can move around. I think you can disguise things and uh, confuse teams on offense. I don't care if they're a no-huddle team or not. I think you can move on the line of scrimmage by simply shifting right or left or having your calls. I used to do it all the time. Go from regular sets to stack sets. Uh, call blitzes off, call them on, or, or or do different things all the time. Show man coverage, come up, bump, then back off, or or be off and then come up. You've got to do different types of things. But, you know, you've got to be careful, too, on what teams are doing. Like the option teams today, and playing man defense is something that you've got to be careful of. When you, when you watch these players play, they and if they recognize – quarterbacks recognizing you're playing a lot of man defense and they got a pass going on or a deep route going on, what they do is let your receivers clear 
they're by by the receivers going deep and your your defensive backs are running with the receivers and they just run the football and they have no force. They run right up the middle. You saw Kaepernick do that several times, several times in the uh, game two weeks ago uh, when they were playing Green Bay. So you've got to be careful on what you show them so that they don't know what you're in at the snap of the football, but they're smart players now today. And the, and the now with the mobile quarterback, the quarterback that runs, it's really becoming difficult in defense in these teams. You're going to see a change. It's been a change in college football because of it. That's why Chip Kelly went to the NFL. The Eagles would not take a no answer. They ended up giving, what, a $32, $34 million contract, about $17,000 a day to come back and bring this type of offense into the NFL. But you see it happening. You see what Russell Wilson's doing. You see what RG3 is doing. You see what uh, Kaepernick is doing. You see what these guys are doing to defenses, and it's causing a lot of problems. So, obviously, it's a difficult thing to stop. So you've got to be able to take that away from them if you can by not making it easy for them to recognize what you're doing and be able to attack and stop things before they get started because – if you notice, the running game today is a quick-hitting play. It's not a delayed play. Teams today run so fast that when you run to the outside with no option threat at all with it, they run you down. But when you quick hit, and these are all like the old split tee and the dive teams, these plays that these rice and these plays, these, these runners are having such great sex – Look at Michael James yesterday. He's running the same play for the 49ers that he did, him and Gore, what they did that they did at Oregon. The way he stretched the field, take the seam, go up the field. They're all quick-hitting sweep plays. They're all off of the option where the quarterback can still go inside. So this is the new, this is the new phase to college football, and it's now to going into the NFL. And it's going to be a difficult thing to stop. If you remember the years when Randall Cunningham and these players were playing in the NFL, they thought it could never happen. We don't want a quarterback that can run the football. We want a quarterback that stays in the pocket and throws the football. Well, now that's a little bit different. Today they they want an athlete playing quarterback that can do it all. And to do that, the only way you can compete with that is to have athletes on defense that can can to, can disguise what they're going to do and try to compete and get them where they're thinking rather than than playing. And it's not an easy thing to do. I would not want to be a defensive coordinator right now in college football or the NFL because they're far now the swing has been with the rules and the way things are going and the hits that are allowed and the jamming on the line of scrimmage and all of these different things. It's tough to slow down offensive football teams. It certainly is, Coach, and uh, you coached Randall Cunningham in college, so you've got to know a lot about the uh, the mobile quarterback and what that means. And, you know, we I guess most of the talk has been about the defense and, and can USC stop mobile quarterbacks and spread offenses. But we do get questions like this every once in a while. Uh, this one from Melvin. Um, do you think USC should start to look for a mobile quarterback to be able to run a spread when they need to get the ball to playmakers like Marquise Lee and Nelson Aguilar. Well, you know, I think you have to have an athlete at quarterback. I'm just, I'm just going to be honest with you. You can't just stay in the pocket all day. You got to have athletes that can mobilize. And, you, and another thing, if you're going to play the pro style offense, you got to be. You got to have better athletes. You got to pound it out. You got to play great defense. 
take Alabama. They just line up and they smash mouth you and they do it. But they have series that they do it. They don't jump around from the pass uh, 10 plays in a row. When they get to the goal line, they're not down there trying to uh, trick you. They're down there and they understand how they got there and they're going to pound you and they're going to run the football in there because they believe in it. You've got to have a philosophy of what you're running. And you've got to have mobile quarterbacks, not slew foots. I mean, you've got to be able to move the pocket around. You've got to be able to run the bootleg with having the threat that this guy can run the bootleg. And it's not just pass. It's run or pass. So when you attack the corner, it's not just pass. It could be run or pass. Or, you you know, if you get a guy, uh, there's coverage and there's opening, you can run a quarterback draw. And you can still run a pro offense, but you've got to have good players to run a pro offense. And you've got to get great players, and you just can't zone block. You've got to come off, and you've got to pound somebody. You've got to play physical. Both teams that are in the Super Bowl play physical football. Physical football. They hit you. They smack you. Alabama smacks you. That's why they're the national champion. And they play run football. Both teams that are in the Super Bowl run the football. You can't win on any level unless you run the football and you demonstrate physical physicalness. And right now, USC is not believing in that, and they don't have series with the run, and they don't smash you. You've got to be able to smash people. Unless you practice against smash type of football, then you're not going to be tough yourself, and your defense is not going to be tough. And, again, too, if you're going to defend this spread type of stuff, then you've got to be fast, too, on offense. But right now, you don't find many teams that are like that. In the Pac-12 right now, the teams that are running the physical type of football is Stanford. Stanford is doing it, and they're doing it well, and that's why they're winning. And you know what they're going to run when it's fourth down? They're going to run off tackle with the same play, the jumbo. You saw it yesterday with the 49ers. When you get on the goal line, you know what you're going to do. You're not going to pass it. You're going to smash it right down your mouth. And But there's only SC, really, and Stanford that's trying to play that type of football in the back 12. So on defense, how do you work against that if you're practicing against pro football all the time or the old pro and and not seeing the real smash mouth that much by SC if you're the defense well then you've got to have scout teams that are good to be able to give you that look all the time I've said this all along you just can't practice it the week before you've got to take sessions in the spring where you take every single day of spring practice to work against the spread every single day not just game day and I tell you, I'm looking forward to seeing if SC's planning on doing that next year because a lot of teams you play, or most of the teams you play, are all running that. So you better work on it and practice, not just your own off. Go against your own offense. I think the one thing, Coach, that that had that what was in common from a lot of the teams that you mentioned and philosophies you mentioned is that these teams do have and identity. I think there's more than one way to skin a cat. I think running the football is something that you see that's common with a lot of the Pac-12 offenses right now, but certainly Stanford does it a lot differently than Oregon, but they're dedicated to that that method, that methodology, 
and they're very effective. And I, I guess what a lot of USC fans are sort of frustrated with is that USC was kind of doing a, a potpourri of different things, a hodgepodge of, I'll do a little of this, do a little of that. But there wasn't much of an identity. And it, from week to week, it seemed to change. And, you know, it's a team that ran the fewest offensive plays in the conference, so there was less opportunity to make up for bad plays because you're not running as many plays. And uh, I, I think that's where a lot of the frustration from the USC fans' point of view is, is they wouldn't mind if they said, hey, we're going to run with Silas Red and Curtis McNeil, or hey, we're going to you know do, spread it out with this or do whatever. But it just didn't seem like there was an identity with all the other teams that you mentioned in the Pac-12. They already have an identity, and they were dedicated to doing that and, and living or dying by that philosophy. No, I agree with you 100%, and we've talked about that before. There wasn't a uh, goal line philosophy. There wasn't a red zone philosophy. There wasn't a regular philosophy for any one thing. I, I, I say this, and I've said it all along. I'd love to go to a clinic where someone could explain to me what they're doing because <laughs> they have, well, it seems like very few uh, series where you run and you hit all the hull holes against the line of scrimmage. Uh, you try to attack all areas of the defense in the running game as well as the passing game. Utilize all of your skilled players regarding receivers, tight ends, running backs, the whole thing. And you put them in a position where if you do this, if they stop me here, I'm going to do that. And if you have better players and my better players match up against your players. And uh, you build confidence in this and you continually do that. You don't play for stats. You don't play for records. You play for wins. And along with wins comes success uh, with records and all the above. And uh, you dominate. you got to dominate what you believe in. And you, and then you look at all spread offenses. Like you say, they all run the football. They all run the football. All their philosophies, all their, all their play-action passes all come off of the run. So, uh, yes, they do have uh, the, the gun. They do stand back and throw the football. But basically, it's always off the play-action type of pass. Quick-hitting plays that keep your linebackers close to the line of scrimmage and uh, always options off of those plays so you're not sure really what's going to happen. And I think you've got to be more modernized or more physical if you're going to stay with the old type of eye type of formation that you're going to run, but basically FC doesn't do that either. They're not an old-style eye football football team. They do a little bit of every. When they need the eye, they'll see them in the eye. They'll run one or two plays off the eye, and the fullback will always take you to the play, and the fullback will never carry the football, and you already know before the play starts what's going to happen. So I hate to get negative. Let's be positive. Let's move on. Okay. Well, that's that's our show, Coach. That's what uh... – we we're finished with the questions and we got uh some good stuff here on Clancy Pendergast. We'll talk a little bit more in the next segment with Dan Weber and, and about the basketball team and stuff as well. But we wanted to thank you again for uh coming on the show and sharing all your insights and it's always a pleasure. Let me tell you, I went to the basketball game on uh, Saturday night and uh it was great to see the players having fun. They really had fun. They had a good weekend, I thought, of basketball. They they barely lost to Oregon, who was has an outstanding team and beat UCLA on Saturday night. They lost by two there. They had a win. Uh, in fact, I want to tell you what I did. I got up at 27 seconds left when Oregon State had the ball out of bounds. I said, that's it. They lost by one. I got in my car, and they won. 
<laughs> by one. So that just shows you what a front runner I am. <laughs> as far as giving, I thought they had lost the basketball game and they didn't. So nice win for Bob Cantu. I want to congratulate him. I think he's a nice kid. And uh, I think the Trojans will win some games. Uh, they really had fun playing basketball. And uh, and I think the fans here had a good time too. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing, especially in LA. You gotta you gotta entertain the folks, and uh, scoring forty points not entertaining. Scoring more, yeah, much more than that is so. Uh, we'll we'll see. We'll follow Bob Kentu for the rest of the season, and who knows uh, after that, we'll see what happens. And uh, thanks again, Coach, and everyone else. I wanted to thank uh, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back in thirty seconds, talking with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. We have Dan Weber joining us on the phone, uscfootball.com. Beat writer who covers the football team, but of course also uh, covers some basketball too. We wanted to kind of get his thoughts on USC and Coach Bob Cantu coming back and uh, getting a split against the Oregon schools at home for his first two stints around this time as a head coach. What's up, Dan? How you doing? Hey, pretty good. Well, uh, uh, yeah, you wish uh, wish you wouldn't have taken two years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, just watching the kids respond and react and having fun and playing hard and excited for one another and what have you, you know, and and, and, and you can't turn it around you know, what, what's gone wrong in the last, uh, three, three and a half years. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, they probably could have, should have beaten, you know, an Oregon team. It's a, probably the best team in the league right now. Uh, and, uh, you know, kind of fell off a little bit against Oregon state, but, but held on, you know, played, you know, made enough plays at the very end, the last couple of plays to, to get a one point win. But uh, it is a shame that it's taken so long to, uh, you know, start going in the right direction in basketball. You know, two years, they could have had two years of, of heading in the right direction had they made the move when they should have uh, at the Pac-10 tournament two years ago and didn't. And, uh, you know, we just have to be hopeful, I guess, that, that uh, they'll get it right with the uh with the you know selection of the next basketball coach and all that uh, so I'm happy for the kids they, they look like they're having a lot more fun they tried hard you know this and they're not untalented at all uh and they've been very frustrated and who can blame them I mean they were you know they should not have lost all the games they had they should have been playing better they should have had a better you know offensive game plan, the ability to execute and all the things that they, you know, haven't been able to do. So whether they can, uh, you know, be a factor, you know, by the Pac-12 tournament time, 
in Las Vegas. We'll see. But uh, at least they've got a chance. And that's, and that's all you can ask. They did not have a chance before. No, and I think, you know, even just watching the, the loss against Oregon, I mean, when there was a seven in front of the, the final score of USC's final score, I think that would make people a little bit more excited than a, than a four. If, you know, so <laughs> something in the 40s versus something in the 70s, I think USC fans are, would put up with a loss to one of the better teams in the, in the Pac-12 when you're scoring 70 points as opposed to, like you said, not really looking like they had a chance because they're only scoring 45 points. Well, and looking like they had a, an idea, you know, how the game is played and looking like they were, you know, encouraged to just go out and play basketball and not just, you know, 30 uh, seconds of aimless uh, perimeter passing and dribbling and then a, a mad dash for somebody to try to find a shot uh, was just, you know, I mean, let's face it, they've been better off the last two years coaching themselves. I mean, it's really an indictment of the program overall. I mean, how do you let that happen? Uh, that, that was just a malpractice. Uh, you know, I don't know if you can, you know, sue coaches for malpractice or athletic directors, but uh, what was happening at USC was, was just flat out uh, wrong. Yeah, I, it, it's weird when you say they'd be better off coaching themselves, and I know we mostly talk about kind of football on this program, but, I mean, when I was talking to you before and you told me that, I think it was some coaches or, I mean, they were saying that there is, there's a lot of talent on this team, and I guess it's a similar thing that we were talking about with football, that people look and see, well, there's a lot of talented guys, but those guys don't seem to be playing together well. Is it the system? Is it the coaching and things like that? But you really believe that just, this team had enough talent to, to compete at a much higher level, even last year when when everyone was hurt, than, than what they were showing on the court? Absolutely. You know, I mean, you know, the only team in America with three seven-footers, um, and two of them are pretty darn athletic. Uh, and, uh, you know, they've got uh, uh, ten transfers from, you know, pretty good programs. And we're not talking, you know, two kids from Wake Forest, you know, and the best kid in the league uh, from UC Irvine, uh, I think Kaiser can play ball. I mean, you know, uh, Gio Fontan from Fordham and in the Atlantic 10. I mean, there's, these are kids that are not coming from, you know, from nowhere. And uh, you see a Dwayne Dedman who's got so much skill, so much talent in terms of physical. He can run, he can jump, he can catch. He doesn't know how to play basketball exactly, but he's getting there. But, uh, you know, Omar Robbie, seven foot two. I mean, you know, there's nobody bigger than he is in the NBA. And he can catch the ball, can shoot it. Um, just, you know, so many things that, that they weren't taking advantage of and didn't seem to understand how how the game's played. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I think they definitely have, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know that on paper anybody in the, you know, Pac-12 has any more talent. Um, I mean, the Oregon game is a perfect example. Oregon's, you know, playing really well, really well coached. Uh, Dana Altman is just an absolutely great coach. And, uh, you know, it's a standoff, basically. I mean, I think he was mad at his kids because he said that he didn't think they believed him that uh, USC, USC's players were that good. Uh, but, uh, but then you look at what Dana Altman does. He comes in here, two freshman guards. And they know what they're doing, and they were confident and comfortable. 
And, you know, that's the kind of thing USC has to get to, a place where they're confident and comfortable and feel like they know what they're doing. And right now they're still kind of, you know, making it up as they go. It's, it's been a, you know, a long time of, of not being coached, especially on offense. That uh, uh, It's hard to make that up in a week. But uh, they're going in the right direction, uh, at least, and that's all you can ask for right now. All right, well, we'll see where the USC basketball program goes from here. We'll jump back into football, and uh, I guess some of the big news uh, coming out last week, USC hired a new defensive coordinator. Here's a voicemail question for you, Dan, on that. Yes, this is uh, 12 Brad Moss 81. I have a question. Uh, with the defensive philosophy that Coach Pendergast runs, is this the type of defense that would secure Jalen Ramsey's commitment? Thank you very uh, much. I, and uh, just to say, you guys do an awesome job. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the fact that they were in on some of those kids on defense, considering <laughs> kind of what the defensive philosophy was, is, is pretty much amazing and kind of tells you the power of USC, uh, you know, football and the brand and, and all of that, but uh, but I think nothing that 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 uh, Clancy Pendergast does could would not uh, add to the allure, the appeal, whatever of of kids that want to play defense. So you're going to get get to play more man, be more aggressive if you're a secondary guy. Um, you're going to get to, I mean, you know, with multiple fronts. The good thing about it, and you know, maybe certainly more of an odd, you know, the 34. Uh, uh, front, but it's not, he's not eliminating anybody. It's not that, you know, uh, you're, um, nobody, you know, would be say, oh, that's going to put me off. That They won't use me properly or whatever. Even the kids, you know, who maybe had some worries about it, I think, or, or you know, the way he plays it and the way he essentially, I think that he has to be attractive to kids is his philosophy is built on how do we maximize the ability of the players we have to make plays? What's not to like about that? I mean, I, I really like that. It's not about taking, you know, square pegs and trying to fit them into round holes. I'm not going to keep referring to the previous <laughs> defensive philosophy. But uh, I think, you know, I mean, anybody that says to kids, we're going to try to figure out what it is you're going to do best and we're going to set up our defense so we can get you the chance to do that. I mean, to me, what what you know? How does it get any better than that? So, I think it, it, it's a more attractive thing for a kid like Jalen Ramsey. I think um, I think the ability to not have this sense that it's going to take me so long to learn, and are 20 hours a week enough, or do we need 40 hours like the NFL guys do? And when they're talking about how at Dallas now, Tony Dungy was talking about, gee, I'm not sure it's going to take two, three years for, you know, them to get the players that can do it for, for Monty. And I'm thinking, gosh, if you're a freshman coming in, wouldn't you much rather uh, be playing in a situation where they're going to say, we're going to figure out what you can do, and we're going to get, try to get you on the field and get you doing it because you've got a lot of talent. And we're going to play to – you know, talent. Not we're not going to play the stuff that's in my brain as the coach. We're going to play the stuff that's in your ability as a player, and we're going to you know make that first, uh, as opposed to fitting you into some some uh, system 
that worked uh, some years ago in the NFL. That would uh, be my take. That's your t- yeah. I, I I guess the the multiple front thing is interesting because he did play a three four, mostly a Cal, but also uh, you got you know four three defense uh, when he went to the Super Bowl with the Arizona Cardinals. I, I think the multiple front thing when we were talking to recruits, it seemed like that was what Lane Kiffin was telling them or some of the assistants were telling them of what was going on. Do you really think that this team's going to line up and sometime be in a 3-4 and sometime be in a 4-3? Do you see that kind of as the future? Yeah, I think I think you're going to see some opportunities like uh, USC had in you know, 2008 when they, with Clay Matthews and, 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 you know, where you may have a, a Devon Kennard, you know, standing up or, uh, you know, Morgan Breslin or, you know, some of the, you know, switching between outside linebacker and, and defensive end. And, and, yeah, I think USC has a lot of personnel that have that ability to kind of be able to do, you know, uh, multiple things, you know, where, you know, the guys that could be defensive ends and, you know, for Pendergast could also be outside linebackers. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I do see that as happening. I do see, uh, I do see them, you know, picking their spots uh, week after week. And what you have to do, I think, is is you have to focus on what it is the players are going to do, even if you line them up differently. You're not going to be asking them to do a lot of different things. You might just line them up in ways that, uh, uh, you know, they're going to take advantage of, of, you know, what sets the other, you know, your opponent is playing, what, what offense you're facing. But you're not going to change any of the things they do. You're going to gear what they do week to week to what they do well. And so – you know, I think obviously there's a lot of quickness and athleticism there, and uh, having an attacking, aggressive defense that's going to try to force people into making mistakes and try to force them, you know, get them off the field, give them bad plays, and not give up, you know, third and long plays. Uh, you know, that's what uh, I mean. I think that's a beauty. I do think, you know, in, in a lot of ways, Clancy, you know, Pendergrass is is ideal for the players he's got, you know, coming back and the players he's got coming in. I mean, when you look at down the list of players, they just seem to, to fit into his scheme much better than they would have fit into, you know, the schemes that were, uh, that would have been left over had, uh, had there not been a change. You know, there's definitely some defensive turnover. Uh, you know, USC's losing some, some guys in the secondary. And I mean, so it's not going to be the exact same defense, but a bunch of guys are coming back. I guess for me, I'm really curious to see, because one of the things that we have been talking about, we mentioned, is is the talent, is, is that we felt that, like, I think this is real talent. I think that they had enough athletes on defense to, to make a lot more stops than they did. So just seeing how changing the defensive coordinator goes and how, how far that really goes. And, and will Lane Kiffin... You know, let him do what he wants to do. Is it gonna? Is he gonna try to put him in a box and do certain things? I mean, I think that's what a lot of USC fans want to see: is will a new defensive coach and defensive philosophy, if if allowed to, kind of develop and grow, will it have immediate results with with what people think is a, a fairly talented defensive roster? Well, I think the other thing is, um, will it get kids on the field faster? Which USC has to do. You know, they can't have this situation where Oh, he doesn't know the system yet. Or, you know, or you got guys, I mean, how many times this year with all those veterans, did you have people just standing there looking at one another? Like, was that my responsibility? Was that yours? Who was supposed, were we in, you know, 
half man, half, you know, when were we supposed to hand that guy off? Uh, am I supposed to be, you know, here or here? I mean, uh, you know, and then the tackling uh, on top of it, you added the tackling woes uh, on top of everything else. And, uh, you know, this was an underperforming defense by far, except for the 32 turnovers. You know, they did use their, uh, you know, their savvy and their experience. And, um, and they allowed – because of the youth, I think, actually, they didn't do too much with the front, especially early, and they allowed those guys, you know, Morgan Breslin, Leonard Williams, just to, you know, play athletically. And uh, I, uh, the results were good. Well, if you, you know, turn that around, and, you know, they'll, they might make more mistakes. Uh, I don't know if they could make more mistakes now that you think about it uh, <laughs> than last year. But, uh, you know, how much better, if you've got really good athletes coming in, aren't you better off letting them play man and just saying, you know, it's you against that, you know, you against that guy and uh, go get them rather than having them having to think, what are we doing? That, what's that call? Oh, let me, I'm trying to remember. And by that time, you know, Oregon snapped the ball and they're five yards, you know, into the play. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. I mean, and there was that a lot. And, I think, you know, challenge these kids just to, you know, be as good as you, you know, you've got talent, go ahead and live up to it. You against that guy. And and uh, have confidence in him. I like it that I think Clancy uh, certainly seems to have confidence in his kids and his defenses and says, go get them. You know, we trust you to make plays. I, I, I would say one of the things that, uh, overrode, you know, the defense over the last three years is there was a lack of trust. And the, uh, it, it didn't look like the coaches totally trusted the players or Armani didn't really trust them to be able to do what he wanted them to do. And they didn't trust themselves with being able to do uh, what they were supposed to do. So, uh, you know, I think that has to be a plus, that, that there will be – you know, a higher level of uh, trust and, a, and an ability to, to get younger guys on the field quicker. Yeah, I think that's certainly key, the trust. And I guess it's not even just about players trusting themselves. I guess having the confidence to that they they feel comfortable going out and, and executing, uh, you know, kind of what's been put in front of them. And I, the, the jump in talent, I think, for Pendergast, I think, is, is big. And I think that's something that's going to kind of excite him. And I think the USC fan base is going to be somewhat forgiving where it seemed like each and every week that there would be a team that just kind of did what they wanted to do on offense and there wasn't really a whole lot to stop them. You mentioned the turnovers. There was a lot of turnovers. Like Colorado got a lot of yards against USC, a terrible football team, but they, you know, USC came up with uh, key turnovers to kind of stop drives there. Um, but for if, if USC goes out and gives up a whole bunch of points to Oregon again, you know, but maybe gets a few stops in there. I think they'll be more forgiving if if he's also able to stop like a, an Arizona uh, or an Oregon State or something like that where he goes out and and does some things where maybe not every week it's it's you're shutting down some of these spread offenses you're seeing, but every other week or a little bit more often than not. It just seemed like this year it, it was never happening. And I, I think the USC fans would be a little bit more forgiving if he goes out there and at least half the time or so, he's able to stifle uh, the opposing offense. Well, I mean, they weren't supposed to shut people down. That's the problem, you know. They were hoping. I mean, the theory was you make a mistake and maybe you shut yourself down. 
unfortunately, you know, you'd have these discussions after like the UCLA game, and Monty would be saying things like, "Man, that freshman quarterback, he could really make that throw." Every time he just kept making it, and you'd think Monty, this guy was open every single time he threw it to him at deep, uh, at deep out, uh, 15 to 18 yards, and he'd been doing it all year. It wasn't <laughs> a surprise. It was the last game, and there he was, you know, or second last game for the last game of the Pac-12, and uh, it was just amazing that you know it was like we're going to give them that and see if they can make that play. Oh, gosh, they made that play. There's a lot of good quarterbacks in the Pac-12, a lot of good quarterbacks USC face. And I'm not sure anymore you can go into games saying, we're going to give you this and we're going to give you that. And by the time that's on film, teams know what they're going to get. You know, UCLA, you think UCLA didn't know that play was going to be there every time they needed it? Of course it was. Uh, that's what you like about – I mean, I think that – you get the best of both worlds, potentially, with Pendergrass. They're going to do more things, and yet it'll be more simple. Now, on top of that, you have to do a better job in practice. You have to, you know, you have to play full speed. Whether you have to tackle full speed, you have to hit. And you have to take, you know, really good full, you know, running so you get the right angles, the proper angles, all those things, and you get the, in the habit of doing things at full speed. And if they don't do things at full speed in practice, you know it almost doesn't matter what the schemes are. They're not going to do them well enough under the pressure of a game uh, against anybody good, uh, you know, to beat them. I mean, look at yesterday. Who wins those games yesterday? The teams that played physical and tough, the tough teams, the, 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 the tough-minded coaches, I think, uh, look at the BCS championship game, fast and physical and tough. Those are the teams that win football games. You know, you don't win them with game plans and finesse and, uh, you know, all of that. You win with, um, you know, you win with toughness. You win with execution. You win with confidence and stuff that you do in practice every day. And, uh, and that's, you know, all the, all the talent in the world isn't going to, get the job done for you if you don't, you know, if you don't know what you're doing every day in practice. All right. Uh, let's see. We'll move on. I wanted to, we had a question from Muhammad about uh, Scott Starr. He said, what's the deal with him? Is he healthy? And what was his injury? So just a little update on what was going on with last year's true freshman, Scott Starr. He had a cracked uh, cervical, uh, little cervical spine. I mean, I don't think it was like, it could have been serious. I don't think it was absolutely serious, but it's the kind of thing that you just shut them down and, uh, you know, get it taken care of and, uh, and you know, say uh, whether we'll see him in spring. I don't think we know yet uh, in terms of how, how much he can do in spring. I mean, we, we saw him around, and I, I swear every time you saw him, he looked bigger. Uh, and he's an athlete. I mean, there are a few guys like that. Uh, Christian Thomas, you know, guys that, that really have some, some real ability and uh, some real physicality, and we're just not sure, you know, what we're going to see from them. But uh, USC, you know, as, as much as, you know, you can be impressed with this, uh, you know, class that looks like it's coming together, uh, 
there are some guys in the program who are just sitting there who may really make make some big time impacts uh, uh, this next year on defense. I mean, they are the makings there are of a really, really, really good shutdown, big time defense. I mean, that really goes out and just takes uh, offenses out of the game. Uh, it, you know, if they get it all together. I mean, this is not just where you know this is a defense they're going to hang in there. or, give the offense a chance to win games. This is a defense, I think, that, you know, that could be, be really, really, really good. And, and I think we'll really respond to, you know, the opportunities that, that I think they're going to be given. So and I'm pretty optimistically upbeat about, you know, the potential of this defense. Uh, okay, let's go to uh, JJB. It's kind of an interesting uh, uh, Lane Kiffin topic discussion point I want to get your thoughts on. He says, Lane Kiffin seems to have a lot of potential. Where else can you find a 37-year-old that's been the head coach of the SEC, Pac-12, and the NFL? He's done a lot of good things at USC. Some of the stories that I read about the Sun Bowl said that they lost that game, but because they because they didn't really want to be there. That's what the the analysts were saying. They predicted, they predicted that they would lose, but the post-game brawl seems to disprove that. Why would the team get into a brawl after losing a game if they didn't care. It seems to me that they wanted to win. They just weren't prepared to win by their coaches. At 37, is Lane Kiffin just in over his head or not yet ready in his career to handle such a big job? That's from JJB. Uh, maybe. Uh, certainly last year he was in over his head. There's no, that's not even a question. Now, part of that is how many teams – our pick number one, and as Lane kept pointing out, we've got 10 fewer scholarship players than everybody else and all of that. I mean, I think it's tough. It's tough for Nick Saban. It's tough for anybody to go wire to wire. It's tough to come into the season picked to be number one. And um, Lane didn't handle that well at all. He outthunk himself, you know. He out, uh, outcoached himself. He outsmarted himself. He did a lot of things. He was trying too hard, trying to come up with all the ways, trying to manage the roster, protect the roster, uh, run it like an NFL team. And you, you just, even if you're 37 years old, you've got to know they're not NFL players. They're 18, 19, 20-year-olds. They're not ready. You know, they, they can't be coached like 30-year you know, old guys uh, you know, that, that Monty had at uh, – you know, at Tampa Bay. And uh, so they really got off the, off the, off the rails fairly early. And um, one of the things that happened is it was obvious the players didn't buy in at all. Uh, but as far as the Sun Bowl, honestly, the two weeks before they got to El Paso, those were the best practices of the year. It was absolutely clear. The players wanted to put the year behind them. They wanted to get it done right. They wanted to go back and they were, you know, practice were, were physical and fast. And, and uh, obviously, you know, Lane, um, for, that, for that time, has, you know, was assuming the role of head coach and, you know, observing everything. And the offense was being run by the four offensive assistant coaches. And they were running more plays at practice and quicker and getting in and out of the huddle and doing a lot of stuff. And then, they got to El Paso, and they reverted. Lane became, you know, the offensive uh, boss again, and practices 
uh, kind of went back to how they were during the season. And then they go, uh, you know, in the Sun Bowl, two, three and outs to start, and the wind's blowing, and Georgia Tech looks like they're really ready to play. And the kids said, oh, hell, here we go again. And But I, but I don't think it, they didn't want to be there or that they didn't want to play once they got there. But there were a lot of things that uh, had built up over – over a year's time, and uh, and uh, all we can hope is that Lane uh, at 37 is capable of really, really learning all the lessons that are are there to be learned from the 2012 season, and there are a whole bunch of them. And uh, you know, having a, a new defensive coordinator and going the direction he has gone seems to be one of them, but. Uh, but there's a whole lot of other things to be learned, and we'll see. We don't know. There hasn't been a lot of talk, for example, about the offense and how's that going to get you know, squared away. And to be honest, the offense was far more of a problem than the defense was last year. The offense underperformed much more so than the defense did. Uh, so you can say, well, you know, we're on, on the way to correcting the defense, but uh, what, what, what's USC going to do about the offense? I think that <laughs> – that we really need some answers there. But uh, the, the the good thing about it is he's 37. You know, the bad thing about it, he's 37. <laughs> uh, I mean, there, there's a lot to learn, but it is a lot to learn. USC. I mean, the thing you notice, you know, about college football is um, big, big, big time programs absolutely have to have big, big, big time coaches. There's no other way to do it. You got to be really, you got to be big enough for the job. Those are big, big jobs. It takes big, big, big coaches. And uh, you know, having a great game plan for recruiting and you know, hiring assistants and all that kind of stuff—that's all great. But when it comes down to it, it comes down to this: Can you coach football? You know, Bear Bryant could, John McKay could. You know. Obviously, Nick Saban can. You know how good a co- how good a football coach are you? And we'll see. We're gonna find out. <laughs> well, one last one for you, Dan. Uh, Melvin wanted to know about. Uh, you had mentioned the Sun Bowl practices. He said, "I'm still waiting to hear your assessment on whether George Farmer is going to be a factor for the Trojans in 2013 or not. Why didn't he practice in El Paso after having such good practices here in L.A.?" Before the Sun Bowl, what? Yeah, everyone wants to know about George Farmer, the former five star. What, what do you think's going on? With I don't him? know. I tried, you know, and, and technically we're not probably supposed to, you know, do a whole lot of injury questioning and all that. But I did. I, I got. I stopped, you know, and talked to him at the uh, Sun Bowl luncheon, and he was very upbeat, and it was really hard to tell. You know what exactly was the problem after he got to El Paso? We, we, it wasn't it wasn't that obvious, uh, and and that's been the case I think uh, through some of his career is you know good practices and kind of an upbeat. I mean they they were throwing the ball to him a lot. He was getting a tremendous amount of attention. Again, it's not the kind of thing we can talk about. Uh, in terms of, you know, giving away some of the strategy and all that when you're getting ready for a game, but it was obvious you could tell we were kind of saying what was happening with George, playing with a lot of enthusiasm, uh, you know, using that great speed that he's got and the athleticism and uh, all of that. 
we still don't have a good answer as to as to what happened to those couple of practices when they got you know when they got to El Paso. The problem is, I mean, if they can't throw the ball to Robert Woods, how are they going to throw the ball to you know George Weimer? I mean, you know, if they if they don't have enough plays and enough pass options and all that to you know get the ball to Robert Woods now you know Aguilar, how where is there a place for or the tight ends, where is there a place, you know, for George Farmer, even if he's 100%? Uh, I think that's, that's part of the problem. I don't know that they can go ahead and, and just run 65 plays a game, you know, the fewest in the Pac-12. I mean, that's just a team with the kind of offensive weapons USC's got. I don't think they should be – I mean, why – you know, Arizona and, and Oregon running 25 to 30 plays more a game than USC. You know, it was great. USC averaged 6.60 yards a play. That tied them with Oregon, uh, except for the fact Oregon was running 25 more. <laughs> uh, that changes, the, you know. You know, so after the game, you can say, "Wow, we had the same yards per play as Oregon." Well, yeah, but they ran a whole lot more plays. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and those extra 25 or 30 plays, that actually matters about guys like George Farmer. Yeah. What if you got him five plays, five of those plays, you got George Farmer, you know, trying to beat people deep. Uh, maybe you find him on one or two. That's a big, that's like changes everything. But USC didn't give itself a chance. Didn't give George Farmer a chance. Some would say George Farmer didn't give himself a chance. Uh, that all has to change for everybody involved. But, uh, you never had a negative feeling about George in terms of his attitude or his his uh, willingness to work or whatever. What's the nagging? I know he's talked about, you know, I'm going to work better at, uh, at at warming up and loosening up, and I know I because of my, you know, heavy musculature and all that, I've got a different challenge than most of the other guys, and he does. There's very few guys as thick and as strong and as just absolutely big as he is it can run as fast as he can. That's it's not an easy deal to get you know get yourself every single day to exactly where you've got to be. I mean, you basically got to do you know approach it as a as a you know a great track athlete. And uh, in terms of the warm ups and loosening up and all the things you got to do, and uh, it's not as easy maybe in a in a team sport like football as it is in an individual sport like track and field, but. Uh, uh, I'm still pretty optimistic that they're going to find a way to use him. They're going to find a way to run enough plays, and that George, uh, his you know, competitiveness and his his good nature about you know where he is and all that, he doesn't seem to be you know uh, down or pouting or anything else. And some people might say, "Gee, that's is that a good thing or a bad thing?" <laughs> but uh, but I'm pretty optimistic about about George, but. Uh, I wish I had an answer. I, I think you know nobody's got an answer right now, but uh, but uh, I, I don't think it hurts to be uh, optimistic about about George. All right. Well, thanks very much, Dan, and uh, everyone else. Thank you for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. I wanted to remind people you can hear Dan Weber uh, and myself and Gerard Martinez this Thursday night, the Trojan Club of South Orange County. Uh, Thursday night, January 24th, uh, from 5.30 to 7.30 in Mission Viejo uh, at the uh, Arroyo Trabuco 
Golf Club. The Grand Ballroom, it's at 26772 Avery Parkway in Mission Viejo, California. So from 530 to 7.30, we'll be there speaking. Um, you can email podcast at uscfootball.com for more information. You should pre-buy uh, your tickets, which are $35, I believe, or $40 um, online. I think it costs a little bit more if you walk up there, but they want to try and get everyone to register beforehand. And uh, Dan will be giving a preview of USC Spring Football, and Gerard and myself will I'll help Dan with that, and Gerard will be talking about USC, the football recruiting class, and uh, we'll have highlights of all the players and stuff. So it should be a fun night. Uh, looking forward to seeing you out there, Dan. Hi, I'm very much looking forward to catching up with all our Orange County, uh, Orange County and uh, fans, and uh, maybe somebody from San Diego will come up as well. But uh, the uh, should be a great night. Should be all right. Well, uh, thanks again, Dan, and everyone else. Thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We will uh, have Gerard Martinez come on a recruiting blast later on in the week and then back with our normal show on Monday. So stay tuned for all of that, and thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 